0: I think higher education is at a crux that we haven't seen since, honestly, the end of World War II and the start of the GI Bill, where we are facing a whole new world of what's out there and what to do in this post-pandemic environment. We have students who have not experienced a lot of in-person activity in the last three years. And so the staff are facing changes and opportunities alike in how to approach this new uh, generation of students. Welcome to There's a Better Way. Each episode, Professor Arvind Shagrin sits down with a prominent expert or faculty leader to discuss how business principles can provide solutions to problems we may face in our professional or personal lives. This program is brought to you by The Ohio State University, Max M. Fisher
1: College of Business. Welcome to There is a Better Way. Uh, I'm here with uh, Jana Litko, who's the Executive Director for the Undergraduate Programs here at Fisher College of Business. Welcome to the program, Jana. Thank you. So, Jana, for our audience out here, can you? I know, like you've uh, you, you're relatively new at Fisher College of Business. Relatively is a very relative word, right? So, tell us more about what you've done before you came to the Ohio State University.
0: Sure, thank you. I started out my career in the banking industry. I graduated from the University of Missouri and was an analyst at the Federal Reserve Bank of Kansas City for a couple of years out of undergrad. And while I was there, I got tapped to participate in a college recruiting team. And it was so much fun getting to go and meet students who were interested in going into our management training program and interested in the rotational opportunities available at the Fed. And while I was doing that, I kept thinking, there's got to be another way to work with students besides doing it this way. I wasn't really thrilled with the work I was doing. I didn't like the travel I was engaged in. And I really wanted to work directly with students in another capacity, and so I learned about opportunities available in student affairs, and so the college recruiting really led me to what I'm doing now. I started out in residence life, um, did that for a few years at a small liberal arts college in Bloomington, Illinois, and then I went to graduate school at Loyola University in Chicago, where I got a master's degree in student affairs and higher education administration, and then ended up working there full-time. I moved into the Quinlan School of Business at Loyola, where I worked with the internship program within the business school, helping students uh, with their career and internship preparation through a required course, and then also teaching the required internship classes for students there. While I was there, I got a second master's in human resources, and that really fueled my desire to be a leader within an organization. And so my next role after that was at a small college in Boston, Massachusetts, Where I was an associate director for a college-wide career center, helping students find jobs and internships in the Metro Boston area. And then I decided I wanted to go back to the Midwest. And so I got a job at what is now the Geese College of Business at the University of Illinois um, at Urbana-Champaign, where I worked first in career management for business students in the undergrad population, and then became assistant dean of academic affairs and honors programs. So all of that work led me to Fisher. I really enjoy working with business students. I've been doing it on and off for almost 20 years. And It was really important to me to be in a place where I could have a huge impact on students, making their experiences better, but also to shape the staff experience and make sure that staff were getting a chance to learn and grow and flourish in their roles within the business school as well.
1: That is a very prolific resume that you have, a vast amount of experience in the undergraduate and in terms of career as well as student services. So I'm going to talk a little bit about that later today. But for our listeners out there, people may not know about this. Our undergrad program is huge. I would say it is actually as big as some universities, right? Tell us more about the undergrad program there and what do you do as the executive director and what kind of activities do you there for the program?
0: Sure. Our undergrad program is massive. It's one of the things that I think is really shocking when you hear about Fisher and its amazing programs is that the undergrad population is over 8,000 students. And that's, you know, triple the size of a college I once worked at with, you know, more than 2,000 students. And so it's, it's a huge program, but one where we really believe that we are giving each student a unique experience within Fisher. They all have a chance to be connected to Fisher and feel some sort of tie to the undergraduate population, whether it's through a student organization, a leadership development program, an academic experience. There's some sort of thing that everyone can cling to that really gives them that Fisher identity. So my role within Fisher is to lead the undergrad program. So I work specifically with multiple functional areas. My area of responsibility includes admissions, which works directly with prospective incoming first-year students and transfer student populations. We have an operations team that handles all of our, really just everything behind the scenes, making sure that classes are scheduled, that we have capacity for our students, that we are working with our regional campuses and everything related to our operational excellence. We have a um, academic advising team that makes up the majority of our staff, and they work one-on-one with students starting with their incoming freshman survey course or transfer student survey course all the way through graduation. We have a graduation and records team that makes sure that every student is handed a diploma correctly when they cross that stage at um, their graduation ceremony. And then we also have our undergraduate leadership and engagement office, which does all of our co-curricular programming outside of the classroom. So ranging from big signature events, all the way to working with our student organizations and supporting them with all the things that they're doing.
1: That is a lot of work to do here. So again, from that, from, from your role here, uh, Jana, think about this, like uh, managing 8,000 students is not easy. And again, as you say, right, think about them as a customer, but then they have different challenges, different skill sets, different requirements. So it's definitely not easy. And you and your organization, your staff have done a tremendous job. And then, and then came COVID. All of a sudden, the university went um, through this whole transition to be virtual. And if you think about it, like that may not be the best experience to give for the students. Some of our students, again, some of our students even got admitted during the COVID era, right? So what are some challenges you and your your organization faced during this pandemic? And how did you overcome them? Because your organization for 8,000 students is a very small number of staff doing amazing work. How did you overcome this? Thing and what is still going on as some challenges for you?
0: That's a great question. I actually got hired in the middle of the pandemic. My first day was March 1 of 2021. So yeah. when I started, the office was closed. Everyone was working from home full time. And we were trying to figure out if and when we return to campus later that year, how will we do it? So my first task was to figure out how to get everyone back on campus and what that would look like. Now, in the time that since I'd been hired, we also were able to add a couple of staff, We had some turnover there were a lot of other organizational challenges related to just the sheer logistics of keeping everyone safe and also in 2021 there was no vaccine for small children and my team um, has a lot of folks who are immunocompromised or lives with small children or with elderly relatives or other folks that just could not be exposed to COVID on a regular basis so our priority from the very beginning was keeping students safe and keeping staff safe and so that involved things like office sharing we closed down the cubicles in our office and moved to an office sharing environment where people were able to bring their equipment to the office and then leave every day so that you weren't touching other people's stuff. That was, again, we didn't know a lot in the spring of 21. We didn't know about transmission and how this would possibly be an issue, but we knew we couldn't have students in those small spaces. And so we had to make sure that you know, in our offices we could have students sitting farther apart from us. And we also knew that we could put air purifiers in place and other things to keep the staff healthy and safe. But moving to office sharing has really solidified that we are a hybrid environment and that's come with some unique challenges it means that um you know as commuting expenses rise and as staff have gotten used to being at home you know i really like being able to start dinner in between meetings and that sort of thing it's also been really good for people to be back in the office and engaging socially with each other and with students um, there's just a different vibrancy on campus when people are around My first visit to campus, it was empty. The lights weren't even on. It was just a really dark and depressing situation because everyone was still at home. And so to be here now and see just how vibrant it can really be is a huge difference. So managing that transition was probably one of the hardest things I've done as a professional, but one that I'm really proud of the team for their resilience. I've never seen a group of people work harder. And every day I am so thankful that they are so dedicated to students and to each other to make this possible for all of us.
1: So, so uh, Jana, you mentioned a couple of important things here, actually, and this is something that we are not alone. A lot of organizations face these things, and we hear this, we see this in the news all the time about uh, people working from home and how sometimes CEOs of companies are saying one or the other, you could be 100% remote Do you could be 100% you've got to come to work and uh, you can be remote as long as you work 40 hours a week in, in campus. We know that that's not the truth. If you think about it, like the hybrid work that you mentioned, I think is very important for a lot of us to realize that's there to stay. I don't see that going anywhere, as you you rightly mentioned, there are benefits of hybrid work. Yet at the same time where we are missing is how do we evaluate hybrid work? How do we really make sure that they really do that, right? So what are some things that you do given that a lot of your uh, work that happens Uh, Sometimes you need to have face-to-face conversation with students. Sometimes you can do a lot of back-end work at home. How do you like evaluate those successes in your unit, and how do you really uh, have a cadence around that in a way that staff are actually still engaged, no matter where they work from?
0: That's a great question. We, I think, have been really successful with building a culture of trust here, where our staff have been working so hard, so relentlessly, with so few breaks since the pandemic onset, That when I came into this role, the first thing I said was, I believe you, I trust you, I know how hard you've been working, because I've been doing it too. In my previous role, I was putting in long hours and doing everything I could to keep the ship afloat when things were kind of crumbling all around us. And so I think being able to come in and say, I have a small child, and I have been struggling with this right along with all of you really helped me to build that culture of trust right away there's some standard metrics for evaluating our staff. How many appointments are we seeing? How many programs are we holding? How many students are we admitting? And where are they coming from? Um, How many people are graduating? And, you know, all of those different things are are data points that we collect and that we care about. But another data point that I care about very deeply is staff satisfaction Mm -hmm. and ensuring that we can do everything in our power to make sure that this work environment is positive and healthy and supportive for them. And so I think some ways that we've done that are, again, going to this hybrid model where we are encouraging staff to share offices. Now, if you've had your own office and have been used to that sort of autonomy, it's a huge shift in thinking and in working toward a common goal. But if the alternative is to be here every day at 8 a.m., I feel like office sharing is a little bit more attractive. So the staff have really been able to enjoy that flexibility. I have an admissions team who their objectives every year are ramping up to the May 1st decision date. And so they're going to be on campus a lot more in the spring than they are in the fall. Our UEO team, our undergraduate leadership team, is doing after-hours events, weekend events. They were here on Veterans Day leading our Impact Day program. So they get a lot of different flexibility because they're working a really non-traditional schedule. Our advisors are meeting students where they are. So sometimes there's an evening appointment or an early morning hour, or you end up staying late to see a student through an emergency. That also impacts how we work with our flexible scheduling. So making sure that we know and we trust and that we you know, support them however we can has been really instrumental to moving forward into this new
1: environment. This is very, very important for us to understand what you just said, is like you're not just tracking your outcome metrics like student um, issues, number of admissions met, and all those, but you're also measuring what you call the staff satisfaction and sometimes even sometimes called as process metrics. So very, very important because I mean, if your staff are not satisfied, they're not productive, and clearly that does not translate into a very good student experience. So I'm glad that you're doing both. Very, very important for our our listeners to understand that it's not always those final metrics that we care about, but it's also the staff satisfaction, staff empowerment that you're able to accomplish in your your unit. Let me ask you a follow-up question on the student side. I mean, like given your vast experience before COVID and then the COVID happened, Are you noticing any changes in the students' preferences now that like some of our students in their high schools have done most of their classes virtually and have come here and all? Have you noticed any behavioral changes in the students who are actually coming to Fisher or or, or university in general?
0: I think we talk about this on a weekly, if not daily basis. And I think the student population is completely different than it was even four years ago. We are seeing students who I think are a little bit socially behind where you might've expected people to be a few years ago. It's almost as if those pandemic years just didn't happen developmentally. And so a student who missed out on their senior prom, didn't get an in-person graduation, hasn't been able to do in-person things until this year is really missing a lot of those social experiences that define young adulthood. And so we're really seeing that come through with things like advocating for themselves, calling our office to make appointments. There are students who are just paralyzed with anxiety about making phone calls or having conversations that may be difficult for them. And so we're doing a lot more coaching, teaching them how to do these things, supporting them in the moments that feel difficult to them. Because to us, you know, I've been making my own phone calls for a long, long time. And I've been advocating for myself for a long time. But if you're 19 and this is your first time away from home, it's a whole different world out there. So we're trying our best to meet them where they are and provide that support, but also think systemically about given what we know about how different this population is and how. This piece of their development is completely missing. How do we fill that gap? And I don't know that anybody has the answer to that, but we're trying to do small group things. We're trying to do things that bring them out and help them build community and feel an affinity for Fisher in different ways. So instead of having large, massive, overstimulating events, really thinking about those small pockets of students we can reach differently. And that I think has been successful so far.
1: Are there any specific initiatives, Jana, that you did? keeping that very important objective in mind to break those issues and bring those students back. Are there any specific initiatives that you all did?
0: I have to give credit to the Yulio team for their work here. They have been really, really careful in how they've been able to bring students back for in-person programming. So we have staff who are working really hard with our first-generation population. And so having a weekly seminar with them and ongoing programming with them, Um, We provide masks at every event that we hold and making sure that our vulnerable students really feel like we're protecting them and caring for them. We also have a great team in our admissions arm of things. And so all of our admissions events were hybrid until about a year ago when we started slowly bringing people back for in-campus visits and tours. And they've been, again, the same thing, really making sure that they can do things with social distance, working with our campus admissions office to ensure that numbers are appropriate for the the crowds and the the space that we have to accommodate people for each activity that we're doing. So those two groups in particular have been tasked with the groups. And then with our advising arm, we've been bringing people in for in-person appointments for the first time this fall. So it's been a whole new level of vibrancy in the office, but also really thinking about masks are always available. Air purifiers are running here all day long and making sure that students feel safe, but that the staff also feel like they're protected.
1: These are very small but important innovations that you're doing in a way that actually adds value for your unit and for the college in general. So congratulations to you and your team for doing that. And by the way, congratulations to you specifically on a very important uh, thing that you've gotten. Like, So you've been nominated as the, the Impact Fellow for the Aspen Institute Leadership Program. Tell us more about that and what this program is all about.
0: Thank you. I appreciate that. The Aspen Institute is an organization that really focuses on youth development and youth leadership as one of their um, areas of philanthropy. And the executive director of youth leadership programs there was my advisor when I was a master's student at Loyola. And while I was there, I worked on the multi-institutional study of leadership called the MSL, which is the now the foundation for the work that the Aspen Institute is doing on their leadership index tool. Um, this is a really interesting tool because it's based on more than 600,000 participants' data. And the first index like this that's really meant to mitigate bias and be as accessible and customizable as possible. And so it's been really interesting for me with my lifelong interest in and passion for leadership development to be involved in something that can make such a big difference in the lives of young adults and working professionals all over the world. We are doing beta testing right now and so we will have some Fisher students participate in that in the spring semester and hopefully looking at a launch of the product in the fall of next year, which is really exciting.
1: So and what 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 do you do for this in this, in this Impact Fellow program? Do you go there and like help them develop this metric or bring them back some more? How is this helping you as, uh, as your leadership experience grows? And also, how are you bringing this back to Fisher and Ohio State?
0: That's a great question. I have been working with the Aspen Institute on how to implement this and how to think about getting the word out there. And so they've divided us into groups, a group of scholars who are working on the research piece, and then a group of practitioners like me who are working on the practice piece. And so how do we actually implement this with nonprofit organizations and with higher education institutions? And being from Fisher, you know, one of the largest colleges within one of the largest universities in the country, I have a unique lens on how this can be implemented at a school of our size and how we can use this tool to help students better understand themselves. I see it as a tool that can really help students understand themselves before going on the job market. Understanding their capacity is very strength-driven and focused on what students are good at rather than where they need to improve. And so helping them know how to talk about themselves and how to speak corporate language is one way that this tool can make that more accessible for Fisher. So I hope to bring it to our Fisher population, to our student leaders, to our student organizations and other stakeholders who I think could really benefit from having a better sense of themselves as leaders and how they can continue to build capacity while there's students in our programs.
1: That's really great because again, like what you're doing is actually taking some of the things that have been done as research, but then bringing it back to practice and then deploying it to our students in a way that they can meaningfully learn and then improve their own leadership skills. So that's amazing for what you're doing. So how long is this program now for you? Like, are you gonna work for, for a couple of years with them to collaborate on this initiative?
0: The program is funded through the Bezos Family Foundation and other um non- other for-profit organizations and foundations at the at the moment, and so the funding is set for a two-year fellowship, and then from there they're hoping that the index will be self-sustaining going forward. So it's something I'm excited about to see it go from this idea all the way to a launch and seeing as someone who has only worked in the nonprofit and government sectors of uh, employment, I've never seen that sort of product implementation phase. So it's been really exciting to see that from start to finish.
1: That's great, then. Congratulations and good luck with that, actually. It's important to do what you're doing so that you can bring back some of those uh, insights back to practice. I want to close our conversation today with with a, with a challenging question. I mean, like, what's the biggest challenge that you have as you see yourself in your role for the next five, six years at Fisher what are some big, one big, pick one big challenge that you have and, and what you and your unit are doing to actually think about that challenge differently?
0: That's a really tough question, because I think there are so many little challenges that we're coming into post-pandemic. And, you know, the pandemic is obviously still raging, but post uh, post being at home for two years and, and now that we're back together in person, to me, I think the most imminent challenge is thinking about my staff and how we can get to a level of sustained organizational um, capacity to be able to support our growing student population. So not only growing the staff, but also thinking about what's a sustainable workload. How can we balance this in the hybrid environment? Are we meeting students' needs by being open from eight to five? I think the next five years will be really telling in how student services will be shaped nationwide. And I honestly think that Fisher has a lot of potential to be a leader In the industry, we have resources. We have some of the smartest and most capable people on our team. I think there's a lot that we can do to really set the stage for other competitors and peers to say, look, it's possible to have it all. We can have this hybrid, flexible environment and serve our more than 8,000 students as if we were still back in 2019. I think that the fact that I joined the organization mid-pandemic means that I'm only seeing it through that lens. I have never known the before times. And so to be able to see it, as a problem to solve rather than how do we get back to normal has really helped me have a fresh perspective on what could be done differently. So I'm focused on staff retention. I'm focused on staff recruitment. We'll be looking at some creative techniques to recruit folks to join our team in the spring. I'll have um, seven advising openings, thanks to a growth in our staff, as well as an opening on our leadership and engagement team that we want to fill in the spring with new grads who are eager to get involved in the field. And so we're really excited to get out there and try some new things for recruitment and to keep engaging our continuing staff with um, ways that they can feel valued and appreciated and to sustain them going forward
1: yeah and I, I I agree with you in terms of what you just said and by the way you're not alone I mean the whole idea of retention employee retention is number one challenge for a lot of organizations and we're not alone but like the initiatives that you're doing at Fisher and the small the the, the trust that you're able to engage uh, on them, in a way that they're able to like thrive here. I think it's a very nice working workplace environment for a lot of us to actually grow in this environment. So I wanna thank you for your leadership on that. And, and I also wanna thank you for your time today on our podcast. Again, um, good luck with all the great things you're thinking about and doing at Aspen Institute. And also more importantly, best wishes as you as actually you tackle a lot of important problems here that helps our community and our students. So thank you again for all the things that you do for the college.
0: Thank you. And thanks for the opportunity to join you today. We hope you enjoyed listening to this episode. For more episodes or more information about the Ohio State University Max M. Fisher College of Business, please visit fisher.osu.edu.